If you've got your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 5 today, would you open that up? And um, we're going to get ready to get into the Word of God today. I have to say that it's really, 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 really good to be back. And uh, we've had a great time in Western Australia. We've been and, um, and, and gone to Margaret River of all places and, and uh, beautiful place there and just lots of gourmet stuff. And, uh, and I'm now getting back in the swing of getting, becoming the shape I need to be. And um, anyway, I'm actually, we're going to continue our series today. And we're going to look at the series Hebrews Greater Than, which has been the series through this time. And, and um, looking forward to what the Lord has to say to us today. Really, it's just going to be an amazing time. And, and I just can't wait to... Ah. Well, I've just got to be vulnerable for a minute, guys. Um, it looks like I'm going through a time of temptation right now. You don't need to know what it is. Don't speculate. You've got your own problems. <laughs> but, yeah, it's light. It's just kicked in, right? So I'll just, um, I'll, we'll plug away here, okay? It's just, a, it's just a bit of cognitive load. Well, that's what I get for resisting, I guess. <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, I've just consciously resisted that temptation, but... But it's okay. Let's do the Joyce Meyer thing. It's the battlefield of the mind. We'll win this, right? It's okay. <laughs> well, I just resisted again. That's the thing about being tempted. And hopefully you're feeling my pain right about now. The basic plan of the tempter is to simply turn up the pressure. Add more cognitive load. Make you more aware of his agenda, right? Eventually, the idea is that it builds up. And eventually, it gets too heavy. And we start to cave into the pressure. But I'm not giving up. There's steps I can take here. James 4.7 says, resist the devil and he'll flee. He's not setting us up to fail, is he? I'm going to try one of those steps of resistance round about now, okay? I'm going to call another believer I trust. I'm going to get their support here, okay? You know, we call someone like that an accountability partner in some of our circles and, and, and usually, hopefully, they have a bit less baggage going on than I do right now. So let me, Siri, call my accountability partner. Come on down. <laughs> Good man, I'm having a hard time here, man. This is like... <laughs> Mate, you've got this, all right? I'm praying for you. Cool, man, cool. cool. Thanks. Amazing what a bit of accountability can do, right? Now, this partner is as human as I am. So it's not like he can take this thing away from me without doing harm to himself in the process. But, hang on. I'm going to need some more prayer here, man. This is crazy. (laughs) He knows 
internally I'm Ribdaz, right? And he's, he's gonna, he knows I'm much more capable than this. And he's just going to keep praying for me. And he's going to look for ways to spur me on, right? Because the scriptures say that, you know? See how we can spur each other on, all right? And so that's what, that's what we have here. We've got accountability. We've got help. And for a moment, it got lighter because I listened and I was receptive to the prayer I received. But he's gone away now and I'm left with my own devices, And it's come back with a vengeance. And if this continues, I'm going to drop this thing. Not because I want to, because that gets messy and no one wants that. But at least in my mind, this is going to get a little bit too heavy. It's going to become too much on my spirit, on my mind, my heart, somewhere, somewhere this is going to cave in and I know that I'm not alone in this room with that particular sensation and that thought process. There's not a single, single sinless, perfect person in this room. If you are, no, you're not. <laughs> because you can all sympathise with us right now because we've all been in this position. And we've all been in the place where the temptation gets too heavy. And eventually, we cave. Now, it could have been after a really decent fight. It could have been after weeks and weeks of prayer. It could have been after a... could have been with zero thought whatsoever. No resistance. The path of least resistance at the moment it looked tough. We're all guilty of all levels of that. But however it's happened, every one of us has caved into temptation one way or another. Not every time, of course. We've all got our victories, haven't we? Those times where it just, I resisted, the devil fleed and I am free. Not every time, but definitely every one. And the feeling afterwards is just terrible, Right? There's regret. I let God down. I let somebody else down. I let myself down. There's condemnation. There's accusation. There's anguish. And if you don't know better, and if it happens a lot, a thought process emerges where giving up completely might even be an option. If it's going to be like this all the time, and I keep dropping it all the time, why keep bothering? The people of Israel and a lot of the people in the Hebrews audience knew of another thing that they had at their disposal for such a time as this when they dropped their bundle. They had someone who could get them through this part of their spiritual journey. We're reminded of them in Hebrews. And we're introduced to them in in Exodus and Leviticus. And we're talking, of course, about the priests. Let's have one come up now. When we came into temptation and fell into sin and came to a place of damaged relationship with a perfect holy God, the priests were on hand 
to be agents of shalom, peace, wholeness, healing, restoration in God. To be agents where our sin could have a channel to be forgiven. Through careful, deliberate, prescribed, ordained, sacred ritual, the priests were on hand for the Jews to ensure that the nation would remain free to worship and know their God. By presenting themselves in the right way to the priests, they could go through a process where their sin would be forgiven. And they would be free to worship again with clean hands. Now the point the writer of Hebrews has been making in the last chapter or so is that even as believers, we still need a priest. The order created in the Old Testament which enabled God's people to live in Shalom still had an expression in their midst, just not as they at once knew it. In fact, there was a new expression and this expression, of course, is greater than what they currently realised. Not only was Jesus the Son fully God, not only was Jesus fully human, not only was Jesus greater than the angels, Not only was Jesus greater than Moses, but Jesus is also a greater replacement of the entire priestly system. Not by destroying the order, but by performing his role as the highest and the greatest of them. Once and for all. Consider the men by my side here. Both wonderful godly specimens. both ordained by God for my good. The church is where accountable community occurs. So an accountability partner, a a partnership in that sort of way is vital and encouraged later in this letter. Let us spur each other on. And because I'm a sinful human, I fall short of God's standards. In my sin and my rebellion, I'm not at peace with God. But a priest operates as a man who knows how to get that back for me. Trouble is, both these options are good, but still not the greatest option. The priest in particular was merely a shadow of things which were to come. And the reason these two are not the greatest option, it should be clear by now. They're every bit as fallible, sinful humanity as I am. They've got their own struggles. They're in equal need of the help that I need. All of us up here and all of us in the audience today needed a priest. But one that is greater than the things that we might have currently known before. Now, of course, that's where Jesus comes in, right? What do you think the burden would look like if the tempter worked on you tirelessly, 
yet fruitlessly for about 36 years. We're told in Hebrews 4.15 that Jesus was tempted in every way but never sinned. As our faithful priest, he held up his end of the deal without any hint of failure. And we need to understand that Jesus is the most tempted person ever in all time. Had to have been that way because he never gave in. The tempter would be looking for ways constantly to make this saviour fall. And because he never caved, and yet he was punished for that which he never caved into, he became the one true source of our peace with God. Jesus humbled himself and was obedient to the cross, carrying this weight on him. And God glorified him, punishing and removing this, even though it was never, ever dropped. In doing so, Jesus becomes theirs and our perfect high priest. That's that Melchizedek concept that came out last week. And it's going to get fleshed out in a couple of weeks. It's a type of Christ, a king and a priest from unknown origins, known to us only as the king of Salem. Our great high priest is our king of Shalom. He is our king of peace and wholeness. We're reading in Hebrews 5 this beautiful sense of eloquence, this beautiful sense of amazing stuff that God is doing, that that Christ has has fulfilled an amazing role in the lives of of the believers. And and, and it's just, this stuff is just beautiful. There's there's an eloquence and and a beauty that's coming out in this passage. And it's an important idea to get across and the writer has a heap more to say in the chapters to come. It'll be, it'll be a massive blessing to us when we consider it all and take it all in. But the writer has also had a sudden realisation once again that as beautiful as all this is, his audience is still going, meh. We know they're struggling somewhat. We know they're looking back to a system that no longer works. We know that they're not prioritising Christian connection and fellowship as they should. We know they're drifting. We know they're complacent. We know that they're a crowd going mild rather than wild right now. And even in the middle of teaching something that should make their hearts sing and dance for joy... 
The author knows that's not where they're at, so he digresses for a moment and that's what we're going to be reading from today and next week. So our passage today is going to be Hebrews 5 and we're going to look at verse 11 into chapter 6, verse 3. This is our passage today. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. Now, we've been on leave and in, these last, in this last course of this week, I've actually spent some time in Sydney. And uh, I've been hearing a number of lectures in an ac- academics, a very academic setting. The main keynote speaker was John Dixon. If you've never heard of him, look him up. And he was really amazing to hear and interact with, right? And, uh, you know, but then there were others covering other material in that time. It was nine sessions over two days with a minimum of 75 minutes a session. What a lot of material to take in. And about halfway through day two, my brain hit the proverbial wall. It was a point where I just tapped out. A point where I'm like, it's too much! <laughs> my attention span got really dull all of a sudden. And I got to a point where I realised I wasn't even trying to pay attention anymore. And I needed to. So I did what I usually do to hit the mental reset button. If you know me well, you know that involves lots and lots of coffee. So I went out of coffee or three out in the foyer and I was fine afterwards. The immediate audience of this letter has hit a wall. They've gotten out of the blocks of their journey of discipleship really, really well. They they absolutely motored through the Alpha program. They've absolutely devoured the new believer material that's been on offer to them. So far, the whole discipleship journey has been palatable and eloquently presented. And they haven't had to think too hard as they worked out some grade school level things about following Jesus. In this particular church setting, it would have been quite interesting and really easy to engage with. But the writer is becoming deeply dissatisfied with this and is writing in a way that only a person in deep relationship with them could. These guys have been believers for a really decent amount of time now, definitely a few years at least. And the writer feels like they're going in circles all of a sudden. The deeper things are coming out and offered in various ways, even with an initial willingness to engage. 
But the audience is now tapping out. Not even trying to put down the alpha manual and look at something with more substance. And because of this emerging pattern in their lives, the writer of this letter calls them spiritual infants, babies. Now, there's some deeply endearing things about babies, right? All you've got to do is get on Facebook and see what parents post about them in their antics. Yesterday, one of my Facebook friends told me about their, you know, publicly posted about their child claiming to have eaten a battery. So they've gone, really? Yes, it went down my belly, in my mouth and down my belly, it's here. And a triple A battery's disappeared in their lounge room. So they've gone to the hospital. Triage nurse, where's the battery? It's in my belly. Into the, into the x-rays. Go get an x-ray. No battery. Honey, we can't find a battery in your belly. Where is it? And it's pretending. Kids, we smile, we laugh at that. This morning, another friend of mine on Facebook put his picture, all these different reasons, like babies in tantrums. And just a caption underneath why that kid is having a tantrum. You know, some of them are quite funny. He's crying over a banana that he doesn't want, even though we didn't offer it. There's another one in the White House Oval Office. He's crying because he met Barack Obama. It's like just this tantrum thing, and you read it and you laugh because babies are being babies and you laugh. You can't not smile when you see an infant do cute stuff, even if it's really messy. But it's really unnatural. And in no way endearing to see a 30-year-old do infant-type things. Unless they're doing it for the entertainment of an infant, right? That's a different story. All right, if you're a parent, you're behaving... <laughs> okay? That's perfectly normal. But if there's no infant in sight and you're behaving like that, we've got to look at you. If someone stopped learning in kindergarten, they'd be in trouble as an adult. If they spit the dummy and refuse to learn to spell or do their times tables or learn manners or put down their computer game controller and somehow made it to adulthood, they wouldn't be at a level of maturity that you would expect. That, by the way, you can buy that suit on Amazon. That's an Amazon ad. If you go on fancy dress, sign me up. I've helped you up. There are times where infant Christians are described in a sentimental smile on Facebook sort of way in Scripture. Second, First Peter chapter two is one of those where we can we're shown a pastor encouraging new believers to pursue milk so they can grow. That's affectionate. That is pastoral. That is concern for the newbie. But frankly, this passage isn't one of them. Their infancy isn't cute anymore. 
their immaturity is unbecoming. Their function as a body of believers is being stunted. Now, we need to remember that some of these people in this church had to once work out their religious ways in great detail. If they came from Judaism, there was far more detail in Judaism than there is in Christianity. Let's face it. All the ritual, all the get things right elements, their previous faith walk would have been meticulous. And yet their Christian walk is not. If you were going to be a pagan idolatry person, you had processes and things to learn to work that through. If you just be an adult in society, in a pagan society, learning how to to grow up in that setting, learning how to, to get ahead in life, there's lots of settings in life where adults have to be meticulous and have to do some growing up and have to, you know, do things that are complicated, complex, that require growth and reason. The church being addressed here the writer is writing in such a way that he believes they're not incapable of deep thought. Except apparently when they showed up on a Sunday morning. In that arena, they tapped out saying stuff like, I don't need all that theological stuff. Just keep it simple. The trouble is, The writer has been preaching the same six sermons for a while now. And he knows his congregation is getting a bit malnourished because of it. If someone came to him right now in his congregation and said, Pastor, I'm not being fed at this congregation right now, that congregation member would be absolutely 100% right. And those six rotating things are apparent in chapter 3, verse 1. It's the recurring alpha course of this particular church, of the Hebrew, the church that is being written to here. You've got repentance from acts that lead to death. You've got faith in God. You've got cleansing rites and baptisms. You've got the laying on of hands. You've got the resurrection of the dead. You've got eternal judgment. These are considered entry-level new believer things. Things that a preacher should not be preaching every week, three, four, five years down the track after conversion. Don't get me wrong, all of these things are awesome. We cover a lot of this in our own New Believe material. The elementary Bible study course got its name from this passage. But these things only get you started. And the writer is a little bit annoyed that this is still the preaching curriculum in his congregation. He sees limitations in this. It's it's baby food. If you read the label on one of these cans, you'll see that it's designed for infants. I looked at the nutritional value of this stuff. I'm on a diet, in case you haven't worked it out by now, right? Yeah, I'm a shadow of what I once was. And I'm still getting there. My diet involves being on 6,000 kilojoules a day. I would need to eat 25 of these a day. All right, that's 
bad. If I wanted to get all the protein I'm supposed to eat in my diet, I would need to eat 40 of these. And yet, we're content to be fed like this at times. We're content to go, just give me something nice and bite-sized and let me just mull on this and chew on it and that's going to sustain me for the week. See, once we get a bit older, these things are of limited nutritional value and they smell really bad. That ain't chicken and corn. If you're a believer of more than a few years, friends, this label appeals to us and our doctrinal understanding of things. I see a challenge in this letter that I believe the Western Church probably should take a look at at this point, that we need to hear this statement to move to get off the baby food and start getting an appetite for meat. this stuff. Let me tell you right now, on aroma alone, I know which one I prefer. When we get off the baby food and we start eating meat, our faith will soar. Our own personal ministry will form and flourish. We'll become fit teachers to somebody else. And we'll have the all-important spiritual trait of discernment. The understanding of right and wrong. He writes that in there. That was actually one of the Jewish understandings of what maturity is. Somebody who knows right and wrong. And the writer of Hebrews highlights that in this particular passage. When you get, on the, get past the basics, you get into this place of knowing right and wrong. And that's a maturity step. That's a more concrete thing than just supposing what's right or wrong. But forming convictions that determine how we live. And as a result, we'll be a self-starter in the things of God. You don't need, you won't need someone to come to you and go, here comes the airplane. It's not any better. <laughs> Instead, it's give me a fork, let me get into this. Sorry to all the vegans in the room. It's time to be glad when someone says, let's go deeper. This letter has some meat in it. And the writer believes there's enough of a foundation there to now be able to serve it. And he's hoping now that the audience sees the error and begins to crave the right nutrients. Otherwise, this writer is going to find it hard to be teaching that congregation anything more than what they currently know. 
Perhaps he's having conversations like this. All right, we've got faith in God and repentance. Let's talk about a transformation journey where all the days of your life are transformed and your day and your constant journey is one of becoming more and more in the image of Christ. Maybe their response is, yeah, no, 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 no. I, I, I kind of, I just like the idea of just saying a prayer at an altar call and I'll just, let, I'll just, I'll just. Just get me to raise my hand and say that prayer again and everything's fine. Let me live my life how I want. Okay, well, why don't we talk about some of this, this stuff about what it means to, to, be, to move forward with your life and to, to step into community and to step into ministry stuff. Let's look at the, the baptisms and the rites there and, and maybe let's look at the, 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 uh, the laying on of hands, the, the ordination and the being set apart for ministry in his name. What? Nah. It's pear. I hope it works. I don't want to serve. I didn't sign up for a roster. I just come to church to sit. <laughs> Baptism? No, 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 no. I'm just waiting for God to tell me to do that. Did you read your Bible about that? Yeah, I'm still waiting for God to speak. All right. Resurrection of the dead. Do you understand that a fully human person is going to be on a throne judging us at the end of life? Too deep, man. I didn't want to think about that. No, 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 no. Let's just, let's just think about God in vague terms, eh? Eternal judgment. How about we talk about what resurrection power you have now. How about we talk about how your understanding of eternity determines how we live now. That we live every day of our life with eternity stands on our eyeballs. That it, that it drives everything that we do. That we become agents of peace around the world around us. That we demonstrate the kingdom of the God, of the eternal kingdom that we're going to see in full one day. How about we start talking about that? Now, I just want my hell insurance. Just leave me alone. Prayed that prayer. I'm not going to hell. I think Jesus rose from the dead. doesn't matter if it's bodily, spiritually, whatever, or even if it's metaphorical, but I kind of got sort of hope for the future, right? This is going to be a very unpalatable diet before too long. I don't even want to try the sixth one. I kind of get the impression in the Hebrew church is that a state that many of us kind of languish in at times. Pray to prayer once. Life's a little bit better. 
I'm not doing anything more with my life than I need to in order to get to the pearly gates. I've signed up for Jesus, but I'm not signing up for any church or any community or any accountability or any roster. And I'll live like this and do just enough for Jesus to hopefully know me when I die. I know believers like that, and it's the saddest of existences. There are polls that indicate as many as 48% of American adults have had a born-again moment in their life and are acquainted with that sort of Christian experience. And that's a Gallup poll, that's a secular poll. vast majority of that group are nowhere to be found in Christian communities. And the very state of the nation indicates their faith has no application outside of a church either. I'm going to go out on a limb and suggest it's because either all they were offered or all they would consume is this sort of Christianity. And there's plenty of it out there. It's good for the formative times. But somewhere along the way, our faith has to move on to this. Or it just won't go the distance. Your faith needs more than that in order to grow. See, the protein content in that is more than about 10 of those. And there's so much more enjoyment consuming that than there is in that. Unless you're vegan, we'll find some lettuce for you. I'm going to continue the thought next week. We're going to, there's a second half to this to, to explore next week. But today I just want to take some moment just to think this through a bit. A simple question for us all today is, are we a milk or a meat believer right now? Have we gotten beyond this elementary stuff and are we moving into deeper things in Jesus? Or are we going in circles with the basics? I want to say a word of encouragement to our newest members in the church at the moment. The newer believers. I've been really impressed with the journey that those guys have been on. I've loved their enthusiasm. I've loved their willingness to go deep in their faith. I've seen a bunch of them embrace key beliefs and make them their own. I think nearly all of them have gotten baptized. And we're seeing a number of them look for ways to serve and get deeper into community and discipleship. On the issue of baptism, we have another one coming up in October. The same weekend as the show, same weekend as the Solid Rock weekend. But we're going ahead with it. There's an opportunity to pursue that. So come and pursue us so we can book you in. I believe I can call it right now. Some of our new believers that are in our midst right now are going to be teaching us before too long. 
But I know what I'm like at times. I know my propensity to coast along and stop growing and stop learning. I know there are times where I just don't stretch. And I can find my own little circular space where things remain elementary and I'm not learning anything new and I'm not challenging and I'm not growing. And it's a miserable place to be. Actually learning stuff is part of the creation mandate. Studying things is part of the things is one of the things we're created to do. I hear phrases like, I don't need all that theology stuff, mate. And I've been that guy too. I'm just going to leave this here for everyone's perusal. Oh, at least somebody giggle. It's expected that we become self-starters in our faith. Knowing right from wrong and being empowered to choose right. It's expected that at some point early in our faith walk, you'll get a good grasp on the basics of the faith. Not to set and forget, but to be a foundational thing to build on. Think of it this way. We learn the alphabet as very young people, right? Right? but we used the alphabet in our 90s. We didn't forget the alphabet because we learned it one day. It's a foundational thing that helps us with our grammar and our spelling and our language today. You learn your times tables in primary school and you use them all in, 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 all, in all sorts of adult settings where Pythagoras theory and radiuses and diameters and geometry are needed and you, know that you need them every day of your life, right? I've actually used all those things in everyday life. We learn the Christian basics and we act in obedience to them in our Christian infant years. And they carry us through the long haul as we grow in what we know and as we become teachers of others. At least that's the design. So if you're new, I want to talk about this. If you are new, if you are new in your faith walk, if you are exploring Jesus even from the outside looking in, if you're on the periphery of it, if you are recently gone, you know what, this is the life I'm going to live, or if you're still going through the foundations at the moment, milky faith is more than appropriate. Save the best one for you. It's perfectly appropriate to pursue the basics and it's okay to ask about the basics and not feel silly for it because it's important to get a foundation right. I've watched houses go up. Foundations are two-thirds of a construction process. It's okay to build the foundations and take your time doing it as long as you are doing it. There are legitimate basics to pick up in this knowledge of Jesus. As Peter wrote, crave that milk. 
But please understand, there is some growing to do and the milk is setting you up for meat. Don't you love it when an infant is starting to reach for the mum's plate and the dad's plate? I want that. In Asia, there are ceremonies where children eat solid food for the first time in different places, in royalty and stuff like that. You may be older in faith today and perhaps recognising that you're a little bit behind in your growth right now. I can, if I were to be honest, I reckon my foundations are a tad crumbly still. They're not formed enough. Can I say this? You are not as alone as you think you might be. But it would be helpful to be fast-tracked a bit. Why not make yourself known to somebody who can help you with that? House church leaders, take this on board and consider this. A half a dozen coffee meetings can actually make a pretty solid difference if we're serious with this. If you're going, I need the basics, I need to get some grounding, my foundations are, I've got questions I still haven't bothered to find the answer for. Then as disciples, as teachers in the room, our responsibility to help you find those things and we will we want you to be fast tracked in that if we need to let's get some foundations set and finally choose meat if the milk has already done its job do some study that stretches you listen to some podcasts that interrogate your thinking read something challenging Put yourself out there as someone who could be a teacher to others. Ultimately, that's the end game of discipleship. Students become teachers. 2 Timothy 2.2 says this, All the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, Pastor Tim, entrust this to reliable people. So you've, I've taught you, you teach somebody else. Why? So find entrusted to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. There is a four-generation thing there. Paul to Timothy to somebody to the recipient of that. Are you seeing the perpetual nature of discipleship there? Where do you need to be at to keep with that program? I'm going to leave it there. I want the Spirit to speak now and I'll get all this off stage. Would you just bow in prayer for a moment?